Hey, Logan. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Perfect. Thank you. Logan is pronounced correctly. Yes, pronounced correctly. So now, the most important questions. Have you seen the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles? Uh, I have not, but I have heard about it. <laughs> Why I'm asking, uh, you also attended the Chicago Java user group. And uh, so um, by accident, I, I remember the movie before the Java user, Chicago Java user group meeting. And I asked the attendees, but it's almost no one knew the movie. I was a little bit disappointed because the movie is about that, you know, uh, two guys are trying to go back to Chicago to Thanksgiving. And this is actually, a, yeah, so I was a little bit disappointed. So, okay. Yeah. The second most important question is, what was your first computer? Yeah, I've been expecting this question because I listened to many of your other episodes. And so uh, for me, my first computer that was just mine was a Dell Inspiron from 2009. Uh, but fortunately, you know, growing up, I was able to use my parents' computers, my grandparents' computers. Those were mostly towers, if I remember correctly, some of which were from Dell. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Dell Inspiron for me back in 2009. 2009? So you are like a kindergarten kid, you know? Uh, not quite kindergarten back then. I, I was in uh, a middle school, but yeah, it was quite a bit ago. Time has flown. Okay. And, uh, it, I mean, it was 2009. I, th I think it was already Pentium, right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Cause I, I would remember that, uh, at least for some PCs, Intel would have the stickers on the actual PC. And I recall mine saying Pentium. Pentium inside. Yep. Okay. What do you did with the computer? Also a good question. Uh, I did play games. I wasn't a huge gamer, but, you know, there were games online and other sort of online activities, of course, browsing the web and looking into things that interested me at the time. Uh, and then eventually, uh, later on, got into coding, which was a lot of fun. It's interesting because 2009, I, I mean, I remember 2006, Java was really modern. Yeah. And 2009, it was a little like modern times. This is when you started. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, okay, did you have a favorite game back then? or uh, not, not really. There were a lot of interesting sort of online, mm -hmm. I don't even know what to call them, like communities where, I guess it's sort of like the precursor to the metaverse where like Nickelodeon, a famous kids channel, would have this sort of like online uh, area where people can go on and play like mini games in this sort of virtual world. And so I did, I remember doing a lot of that, uh, which was a lot of fun and other sort of online games that I found. But um, later on, I did get like a PlayStation 3 and played some other video games. Uh, but on the computer, nothing too major from what I remember okay. correctly. And PlayStation, what do you enjoy most? Uh, back then, I played a lot of wrestling games, WWE, also oh. some sports games, which were okay. a lot of fun. But yeah, I was into wrestling back then. I I see it every now and again now. Uh, but I was big into it back then. But uh, wrestling is just theater, right? This is not like actual correct. fighting. Okay, because I yeah, was correct. Yeah, but how can you be excited about that if you know that everything is made up? I don't know. I think you know. It's really to me. It just is sort of like a soap opera. That's what yeah, it feels like. It is. Um, yeah. The. The superstars, as they call them, you know, are, are interesting, and some of the storylines are interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like part of my family got into it when they were young, and sort of got me into it as well. Uh, I haven't kept up with it that much recently, as I said. But no, uh, soap opera is the best explanation. Then. So you can watch it like yes. uh, as a movie. 
right? So it's not yes. like a sport, but more like, you know, something like a TV show. Exactly. This, this yep. is what I understand. What I remember, which is funny, do, do you understand a little bit German? I do not, unfortunately. I did not get a chance to speak okay. German. What I remember, there was a wrestler, and, and, and his name was Undertaker. Yes, of course. Yep. And the Love cool story is, at school, if you translate it to German, is Unternehmer, because Under is Unter, and Take mm-hmm. is Nehmen. And Unternehmer in, in German is like a businessman. I see. Interesting. But, but the actual, one by one, but the actual translation is completely different. You know, Undertaker is uh, um, yes. someone with uh, works on the, on, uh, on the cemetery. And um, yes. and uh, and uh, but I think I remember as a joke I told someone you know that uh, Undertaker if you translate it to German is Unternehmer and he told this to the teacher and this was lots of fun so um, so this was what I can <laughs> know like a prank so this is what I remember from yeah. wrestling um, yes yeah okay so um, and in one point of time you started coding or scripting or something or n- nothing yeah yeah so I was able to uh, do some sort of web development classes in high school. Uh, which, you know, did the usual HTML, uh, CSS, and some PHP. I actually, now that I think of it, was able to start with some of that in middle school uh, with some of the computer classes that we had to take, which was a lot of fun. Um, And so I did some of that, and then really I got into programming uh, when uh, a friend of mine or a family friend of mine gave me an Arduino microcontroller for Christmas. And Mm -hmm. so that got me into the sort of C and Arduino space uh, and I haven't looked back since. Okay, you knew that, that you started with Arduino. At school, you, so you went to school in Chicago area? Uh, Northwest Indiana, which is pretty close to Chicago. Oh, Indiana sounds nice. So what is the landscape there? Is like lots of woods or what, what is it? Uh, it's the Midwest, so it's pretty flat. There are, you know, woody areas and so on and so forth. Uh, but Northwest Indiana is pretty close to Chicago. Okay. Uh, so it's more of like a suburban area. And in winter, it's cold, right, I guess? Yes, it's okay. actually incredibly cold right now. It's about 15 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Okay, if you, uh, if you translate to Celsius, you know what the translation is? No. Not off the top of my head. So I will, I, will, I, will, I will put it in the show notes. So um, Okay, and yeah. in the summer, it's hot? Yes, it can get pretty hot. I just looked it up. It's negative 9 Celsius right Oh, now. there's nothing. So sometimes out. we can have tw- minus 20, you know? So um, Yeah, we did have a very cold Christmas uh, where the wind chill was brutal. But yeah, it can get very cold in the winter and very hot in the summer. I prefer the cold temperatures. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the um, at school, PHP. You had a server, or every student installed PHP on their machines? Uh, it, it did run on a server, so uh, as I remember correctly, they sort of had the environment set up for us, and we would write our code. It was relatively simple at the time. Uh, and then I do remember we used uh, Dreamweaver as well, which Adobe. I think has pretty oh, okay. much fallen out of fashion. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a nice editor. I mean, it was... Yeah. yeah. And, and when, when was it, roughly? Uh, this... Uh, in, in middle school, I did the basic HTML and CSS. I, it, the nice thing about that is that you can, you know, save the HTML file and sort of have those mm-hmm. changes reflected locally. And then, uh, I believe during freshman and sophomore year, I did the intro to sort of web development classes okay. and then later on took the more programming focus. Which year was it? Starting so with just in- C++. Roughly. Which year was it? Yeah. Uh, so it would have been uh, twenty twelve. Okay, so ten years ago. So I was just curious, to know what uh, what was the yep. uh, teaching ideas back then? Yeah. Okay. Arduino. So you started with C 
or what was the language? Yes. Wow. Yeah, so Arduino is interesting because it's sort of a mix of C and C++. Uh, but yeah, I started with that, and then uh, my high school offered a few uh, programming courses, and I actually started with C++ at that mm. time, which was good. I think, you know, knowing all of the power of C and C++ now, I think the teacher in the book did a good job sort of masking you or shielding you from, you know, pointers and memory allocation and whatnot. But yeah, I started with C and C++. I really enjoyed C++. I just yeah. I think in if I get you know some time I would like to do something with C plus mm-hmm. uh, uh, C C in and C out alone you know a nice idea with the, yes yeah this is what I really enjoyed and oh yeah I remember now you could do the send to files right so as I remember you could use yes. is that trick you can do C C in on read something and redirect it to a file in in yeah yep yeah we definitely did that that was part of the intro looking back. I don't know. I'm not sure I love the sort of operator overloading with the, uh, you know, shifting operators. For no, as, as a, uh, in it Elijah, is interesting. As, as a hobby leisure yeah. project, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, yes. on weekend, I will overload whatever I can, right? Never in a serious yeah. project, but I mean, just yes. for fun, why not? Yeah. Understand. I play a lot. Actually, uh, this was my this was actually my major <laughs> my, my major programming task was overloading everything. So I think all my operators mm-hmm. were overloaded just for fun. So I could do whatever. It was just yeah. almost like a DSL, right? So you... yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool. So um, what you did with the Arduino, and I, I mean, because it's actually hard, right? So if you start yes. with PHP, HTML, and CSS, and then you get Arduino, how old were you back then with Arduino? Uh, I would have been, let's see, that was uh, about 10 years ago, so it would have been like 14 or 15. Wow. And I mean, why you were so motivated to do this? I mean, It's a good question. I mean, I just always found it interesting. Like even growing up, even though I didn't necessarily understand the technologies that were used for certain things, I always found it interesting and was curious about how it worked sort of under the hood. And so Arduino is a good platform, I think, for learning because... It lets you do, you know, very simple stuff from like blinking LEDs to mm-hmm. very difficult stuff to like building out big systems and whatnot. So it's a very versatile platform. Mm-hmm. What you did with it was it like interesting project or? Yeah, so like I mean, I would start off doing basic stuff like you know blinking LEDs and changing how qu- quickly they blink and so on and so forth. I think the nice thing about the Arduino sort of language uh, mm-hmm. is that they have a lot of libraries to make the stuff you know, nice and easy for beginners. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then later on, I did more and more stuff. I'm still uh, sort of in the process of finishing this project with a family friend of ours. Uh, But we decided it would be cool to build a remote control lawnmower. And so that's what we were doing uh, one summer. And so uh, essentially with that, we were using Arduino as well as some XB radios so that essentially two Arduino boards could communicate with each other. And then that would be controlled uh, via remote control. Okay, and um, what I know is um, Raspberry Pi a little bit better, and Raspberry ships yep. with the GPIO, where you can actually control very easily the, the pins. Yep, is this Arduino the same idea? The same, same idea. And and why you prefer Arduino over Raspberry? Uh, I think that's just what I started with. I do really okay. like Raspberry Pi, and I do like that you could have like libraries like Pi for J to use it with Java. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I just started with Arduino, and then I do have a Raspberry Pi and have used it in the past as well. Okay, what happened then? I mean, you stick with Arduino or, you know, you started to do something on the PC? Yeah, so I did, you know, more and more electronics projects as well as programming. uh, And, you know, eventually took more programming classes in high school. Uh, I took 
um, AP Computer Science, which was taught in Java. What is AP? Fell in love with Java. What, what is AP? Uh, advanced Advanced Placement. It's a sort of uh, collection of courses, okay. advanced courses that are taught, you know, across the U.S. Okay. And yeah. you started with Java then, you're saying? Uh, so in terms of programming courses, I started with C++ okay. and then took uh, the Java course. Okay. And which Java version was it? Uh, back then, it was Java 8. Uh, wow. But the, yeah, yeah, but the thing is that the actual course didn't really introduce many Java 8 features. Mm -hmm. I actually discovered those on my own, uh, running into a video from Brian Getz discussing the features of Java 8 and how they were implemented, which is what sort of got me hooked on Java. Incredible. So you started with Java 8. I think none of my guests started with Java 8. You are the first one. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Uh, more than Java. Okay. Yes. And you like Java or it's cool? Or I do. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. But why? It's a good question. I think, you know, I think the programming model is very nice to work with. You know, you don't have to worry about things like memory allocation. And, you know, I'm a big fan of strong static typing, which is probably because that's what I started with. Uh, and really, you know, the community is just amazing. There's so many people on so many different backgrounds and so many resources that it's just, you know, an amazing thing to be involved in and to work on day to day. But the Arduino community or PHP community is also okay, or, or is it uh, uh, smaller than Java? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, once I got hooked in Java, I just sort of, you know, did more and more research and got more and more ingrained in the community. Uh, but, you know, you can find a lot of people that are interested in the sort of hobby hobbyist electronics and so on and so forth. So, uh, but yeah, got hooked on Java and haven't really looked back. Okay, what happened then? So you started with um, Java 8? It's cool. So you did yep. maybe some sorting, like, you know, bubble sort, I guess, right? Yes. <laughs> Quick sort. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and just going through the sort of object-oriented principles. So uh, inheritance. Vehicles. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and going through those and, you know, interfaces and inheritance and all those sort of, you know, basic introductory Java concepts. Uh, were they um, actually so, good use cases and explanation? Like, you know, the interface really, you said, okay, this is useful or we're just, you know, how to call it? Yeah. Just artificial, you know. So, yeah, what I don't like, it courses, sometimes you have to do something and no one mm -hmm. know, knows why. Or what yeah. was <laughs> what was your perception? Yeah, I mean, if I, I'm, I don't remember explicitly what some of the examples were. I think some of them were the ones that you said, you know, mm -hmm. interface animal, class dog, yeah. implements animal. Uh, but, you know, I don't think I really understood the true power of interfaces until later on. Uh, but I think, you know, the course did a good job of introducing me to Java early, mm -hmm. because later on when I went to college, uh, the first class was taught in Java. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of gave me a head start on those concepts and going deeper. Okay. So so, so you went to college, you said it right yes, now? Yes, I did. In Chicago? Yep. I did not. So I went into Purdue University, which is in West Lafayette, Indiana. Okay, and you enjoyed it the time. Yes, yeah, it was great. And and you and and you did Java, so you uh, stick with Java or other programming languages. What's the story there? Yeah, so I I studied computer science there, and so the introductory course is in Java, and okay. then other courses. Uh, it can vary from semester to semester. Like for my algorithms course, that was taught in Java. But some of my other courses, like compilers and operating systems, are taught in C or C++. Okay. So it can vary. So what I understood, so you started at school with Java 8. Then you watched a video with yes. Brian Gutz. And uh, you yes. enjoyed his video and Java 8 features. So what do you yep. like the most in Java 8? So which features you were, you say, this is great? Or what's, 
why why you know the video changed your perception yeah i really thought the you know land expressions i think were the major feature oh, okay. of eight and those mm -hmm. were were very interesting i thought it was cool that i could still use them in my class in high school and it didn't seem like many other people knew that they existed uh, but really, I think what got me interested even more is that Brian sort of went through how they were able to add uh, Lambdas to Java. And so adding things like default methods to interfaces allowed them to support things like adding streams to the existing collections. Okay. And so just him walking through, you know, sort of the, the, the design decisions and the options in front of them and why they chose what they did was really interesting. Okay. And this is why you like Java even more. Yes, yeah. And just I discovered after that a whole ton of more talks. And I feel like I, I'm always on YouTube looking at talks from different Java superstars in my eyes uh, and learning a lot of new things. There's just so much rich content out there and a lot of great community. Okay, cool. So um, at university, you program something interesting with, Java, interest, interesting with Java or you just you know you were happy you know to, to, to do the assignments or what's the story at the university? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, a lot of the assignments uh, were, I think, interesting. There was some stuff that I hadn't done previously in regards to like networking uh, that were interesting for some of the introductory projects. Uh, but throughout the whole, um, throughout my whole time there, I did one of the projects, which was not in Java, but in uh, C is implementing your own shell and adding on to this operating system uh, called Xenu, which was created by one of the Purdue, fac uh, Purdue uh, faculty members. Um, but yeah, I, I think there was a lot of interesting projects that sort of helped me and prepare me for industry. Okay. And what you did at the industry after university? So what happened then? Yeah. So after I graduated, I uh, went into industry to be a software engineer. I got hired at a company called Realty Ads, which is located in Chicago. And so what they do is essentially ad tech in the commercial real estate space. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Realty Ads doesn't use Java. So my first job was using PHP. Okay. So you are sad or not? Uh, a little bit, yeah. A little yeah. bit, yeah. But I could still do Java you know, outside of work because I still do work on personal projects. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, certainly PHP is not, is not Java. But uh, what I know, they have they have an interesting framework called Laravel, right? Laravel, yeah. Yep. And it changed everything because PHP was actually not that popular anymore. And I think that the new framework changed everything. So it yes. seems like it is no, um, it was like the revival of PHP, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I haven't used Laravel myself. I've seen, I guess, I played with a little bit of code mm -hmm. snippets and seen some usage of it. Uh, the company that I worked for did not use Laravel, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting seeing how PHP has sort of been inspired by other languages because mm -hmm. there's code that you can write in later PHP versions that is eerily reminiscent of Java code. Yeah, this is what I noticed. Even Germany at the conferences, what they did, mm -hmm. um, lots of, you know, of the Java patterns were available in PHP. Yes. You say, you are yep. crazy because, you know, the entire yes. argumentation back then was like Java is type safe and this is not cool and boring yes. and strict. And therefore, you have to use JavaScript or Ruby duck typing or, you know, PHP yep. where it can be, uh, you can do whatever you like. It is uh, not so strict. Yeah. And then I wondered myself, why then every language tries not to replicate what Java did? So if you are happy, know. you know, happy with the dynamic behavior, then, you know, don't even try to replicate what Java does. Try to be different because yeah. otherwise, what's the point? And this was interesting to watch over the years. So I, because the entire argumentation was also strange. Um, it was, I think, before your time. So as JavaScript became um, really um, 
um, it started with Ruby actually, duck typing, right? They say, okay, type safety, not a problem because we've write more unit tests. I said, okay, this is strange. Yeah. Why you all write so, so many unit tests just, you know, <laughs> to, to replicate the, the type safety. And in JavaScript, exactly the same in our argumentation. We, uh, this type safety yeah. is, is not good. And then TypeScript happened. And I yes. say, okay, so then, then, then why are you doing TypeScript? Because TypeScript is type safe, right? So this is like a yes. completely strange argumentation. This is what, what funny. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I did miss in PHP was that type safety. And they've added, uh, you know, ways that you can sort of add type safety. I think there's like a enable strict types flag, but it still doesn't give you exactly what you want mm -hmm. in Java. Like, I remember... Uh, being very annoyed when maybe a API we were uh, using from like Google and so on and so forth, they would change their API and remove a method and PHP would just let you continue running that code. And if you tried to invoke a method that didn't exist, mm -hmm. it would fail at runtime versus Java. If you try to invoke a method that doesn't exist, you know, it'll fail at compile time. And so it's just like differences like that uh, kind of annoyed me and I was missing being able to use Java for, but you know instances like that. What I know, this is what you are explaining right now. Uh, it was a major feature of I don't know about PHP, but Groovy did it, and Ruby and the other dynamic languages. There was like methods missing. So what you can yeah. do, you can capture you know the exception, and and you mm -hmm. can invoke a method which doesn't exist. But then exception happens, and in the exceptions yeah. you have the parameters and method name, and with mm -hmm. that you can actually generate code on use reflection or do something. So yeah. what they did, they implemented parser with it. So if you parse something, there's lots of stuff which doesn't exist. So you can, you yes. know, invoke behind the scenes and, and fill, fill, let's hash map or a data yep. structure. So you can, you know, understand document by invoking not existing methods. So this was a major pattern in the yeah. dynamic languages. Yeah, that is interesting. And I, I could see uses for it like that. Uh, but yeah, I definitely like the strong static type oh, yeah, of, sure. of Java. So um. And you still are doing Java right now, or you still stick with PHP? So I was at that company for about a year and a half. And okay. so uh, back in sort of uh, September, October, an old classmate of mine from Purdue uh, reached out to me about interviewing with his startup that surrounds uh, commercial electric vehicle charging. And so I interviewed with them uh, and got the job and started in November and happy to say that uh, they're using Java. And then one other sort of minor uh, point is that my CTO wanted to make sure that I said that Synop is hiring. So you could go to synop.ai mm -hmm. and there's a careers link uh, to see the available jobs. Very good. So give me this to the show notes. So I will put it. And yeah. in our yeah. Discord server, I created a channel jobs. Yeah, just, that's just great. Just put to the jobs. And uh, of course, right? So uh, we promote it. So um we, we put it in the show notes to so give me this and uh, yeah and you already so we have a channel to the listeners it's called the air hacks yep. um discord server it is open so you can just register or chicago java user group is also there you are from chicago yep. java user group and um yep. and then we have a channel jobs so logan you can just put you know your job uh uh inquiry and uh yeah um, just do it yeah for sure mm -hmm. okay so uh so you're working for the company right now yep that's no correct. November this last year you started? Yes, or? November 2022, yep. Wow, okay. So you are a very young developer. So this is interesting that you're actually still excited with Java. Uh, yeah, yeah. It does seem interesting because uh, in talking to, I guess, other people my age, 
it definitely does seem like there's a lot of interest in other languages like Python. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I really just, like I said, fell in love with Java pretty early on. I've kept up with it and just mm -hmm. really like, you know, the changes that they're making to the language and virtual machine, as well as the community aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Why the startup uses Java? It's a good question. Yeah, I think, you know, that's... I haven't actually asked this, but uh, there's probably some familiarity there. Uh, my old classmate, uh, you know, was also from Purdue and probably, you know, also like Java. And I think, you know, in terms of providing robust, scalable code, I think Java is a great option for that versus other languages out there. Yeah. And what is the tech stack? What are you doing? Which what are you, what are you building right now? Yeah. So. Uh, Synop works on smart charging software for electric vehicle fleets in the commercial space. Mm -hmm. So you could think of a fleet of mail trucks or Amazon trucks. Uh, if they're electric, you need a way to charge them. And so a lot of these companies will have sites or depots that mm -hmm. hold chargers. And so what our software does is communicate with those sites and depots using a protocol called OCPP. And so mm -hmm. what we do is try to charge those vehicles efficiently and um, make sure that, you know, they have enough uh, power for mm -hmm. the trip. Mm -hmm. An interesting addition to this is the sort of concept called V2G, vehicle to grid. Mm -hmm. And so in some instances, these electric vehicles, since they're just batteries on wheels, can push data back or push energy rather back into the grid and help the grid if it's under pressure. So, you know, when everyone comes home at the end of the day and is turning everything on and using a lot of electricity, these vehicles that are just sitting idle and hold, you know, uh, energy in their batteries can push that back into the grid. So it's yeah. very bleeding edge stuff and I'm still learning a lot, uh, but it's very interesting. Yeah, this is um, also um, a good problem you know, um, yep. or, or good problem solver because um, the uh, the the size of a, of a battery in a in an electric vehicle, this is actually huge. So if you compare it, you yes. know, with the uh, home battery, it's just you know the the vehicle is orders of yep. two to ten times more capacity than a home battery. Yep. And uh, you can you know charge your vehicle if the sun shines and it comes at night. You can discharge your vehicle. And uh, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, and this is this is actually a a perfect idea. And um, yeah, interesting. So on which, is it running in a cloud or where, where your software is running? Yeah, so we're using AWS. Mm -hmm. And so uh, some of our employees come from AWS itself. So I'm, I'm sure there's some familiarity there. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're running in AWS and then uh, tech stack wise, uh, using Java, of course, and mostly Spring Boot as well as some Micronaut. Okay. And uh, Lambda and uh, Fargate, I guess, right? Yep, exactly. Lambda and then ECS with Fargate. Yep. And no EKS? Uh, not at this point, as far as I know, but um, I'm sure we'll get there one day. Hopefully not. I mean, uh, <laughs> Fargate and, <laughs> and Lambda is far more, is uh, far simpler than, than, than EKS. Yeah, yeah. So this was, you know, I'm glad you, this is also my, my choice. Um, yeah. And, uh, and um, yes, now I understand why you're using Java because um, just Fargate and, 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 and Lambda are. Yep mostly serverless, and yes. Java is fast. Yep. And if Java is fast, you can save money, you know, because the scripting language exactly. will execute uh, slower. So this is a business case for using Java. Um, yeah. Uh, very cool. So um, why I invited you is um, I had a session at Chicago Java User Group and uh, mm -hmm. just about, I forgot what was actually the title, but, um, but you asked 
a lot of good questions, not only ask questions. <laughs> Zuya actually answered all the questions, you know, from the attendees. Absolutely, this is incredible. Yeah. Who is it? And it's okay, it's Logan. So, okay, <laughs> then then I have to invite you to chat with you because your you know your your answers were very good and it was lots of fun. By the way, the entire Java user group experience in Chicago was really nice. So there were lots of really nice attendees. And uh, yeah, okay. it was I was uh, it was really a very pleasant experience for me as a speaker. And um, yeah, really enjoy, enjoyed the entire thing. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Like, I guess I was a little surprised because you've had a lot of Java rock stars on that I look up to. Lucas Eder of Juke, Graham Rocher of Micronaut and Grails. And so thank you for, for inviting me on. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, interesting guest, right? So um, I was using CDK. If you can talk about your project now, or is it, uh, you know, lots of NDA. So can we talk about your stack or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We could talk about it. And I, I will just preface that, you know, I'm still relatively new to the company and learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. No worries there. Are you using CDK, Cloud Development Kit, to provision the... It's a good question. I think, uh, I'm not sure if we're using it anywhere in the company. Mm-hmm. I at least haven't used it in in my instances thus far. Mm-hmm. I know we have looked into using Pulumi uh, yeah. in some small cases for right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's been interesting. I think, you know, uh, that's something I'm going to at least look into personally. But it's really interesting that you can sort of have that infrastructure as code and sort of have a java api for that kind of stuff i think mm-hmm. that's really cool yeah uh today i've worked uh, the entire day on the cdk on a, on, on a pipeline mm-hmm. and, and backend so on and uh, the interesting part is if it's a java everything you can so with the cdk just to give you an example so you can share you know the pieces of the infrastructure using uh, yep. maven mm-hmm. or even s3 so what we are yeah. doing, um, this CDK, you can use Maven and compile it and run it, mm-hmm. but you don't have to always compile it. What you can also do, yeah. you can create a jar, push it to S3, download it to the pipeline, and just run it with Java minus jar. And mm-hmm. uh, this is a, so what it means, you have one jar, and this is the entire definition of your microservice or app. Yeah. You run it and you have it, you know, per account. So it's actually really nice uh, Java cool. exp- Java exp- is really cool and and very very yeah. simple and lightweight so this was was mm-hmm. uh, what I mean it is obvious but somehow there are almost no examples about that so yeah. it is very very easy to do right yeah for sure and what are you implementing right now in, in Java so what is your task yeah, so, currently so I'm currently working with uh, this company called Genability who has apis and so Uh, One of the things I'm working on is time of use. And so with that, there is essentially different time periods throughout the day or over the course of a year where there are different rates associated with the cost of energy. And so I'm essentially communicating with their APIs and pulling some data back. Uh, It's really interesting how, you know, APIs for some of these things exist. Like, you know, there are things like this or things like CO2 emissions where, I wouldn't think an API to calculate some of these things exists, and then I found out that they actually do. And uh, which data store are you using? Uh, so we're using uh, MySQL Aurora in okay. AWS for the most part. I think we also might be using some document databases uh, and Redis to cache some things in some instances, but I've mostly been interacting with uh, MySQL. Uh, so a serverless? So Aurora serverless or just the Aurora site? Yep. Uh, I, I don't remember, to be honest. Um, I think it might be the serverless. Uh, but yeah, just MySQL Aurora. Yeah, because um, MySQL is MySQL. It doesn't matter. You can just yes. use it. And um, yep. yeah, and the and the serverless um, is a little bit more interesting because 
what happens then it, you can almost shut it down right but in your case if there yeah. if there is constant load a regular rts is even cheaper yeah now maybe micronaut are you also using micronaut yeah so we are using micronaut in some instances uh which is interesting i've been uh looking at micronaut for a little while now and do find the approach of it incredibly interesting mm -hmm. uh you know i know it's been around for a little while i think it showed up maybe in 2017 or 2018 yeah. and so the approaches that it uses are incredibly interesting yeah. uh, in terms of the sort of ahead of time annotation processing as well as the integration with GraalVM. what's um what's really interesting is um micronaut uses um an annotation processors or the um not anno yeah annotation processors or compiler extensions processor right yep and yes. um what it means at build time, they are generating code from annotations yep. to prevent reflection. But if you think about this, because they do it at build time, they have like reflection-like capabilities with mm -hmm. code generation. This is the strange part, you know. To give you an example, yeah. if a micronode can connect to a database, right, so a table, and read the metadata, and then read, you know, the annotation metadata, and then you know... Mm -hmm that you know the mapping is not right between your yes. entity and the table but this is yes. build time and you know yep. a few years ago the java e servers did the, si the same at runtime with reflection mm -hmm. so what's really fascinating is with you can use something like micronaut which is type safe and have identical features to dynamic behavior you know 10 years ago yeah. at build time and the only difference yes. is, you know, the only what Quarkus and Micronaut are doing, they're saying, okay, instead of doing the deployment at, 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 at runtime, we do it at build time, and therefore yep. uh, they can get rid of reflection. This is this is the crazy part. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like I, I've heard Grammar Share talk about that, and the sort of uh, compile time type checking of queries is really interesting, and it also makes me think about Juke because that's one of the things you get mm -hmm. from using Juke as well. Uh, but yeah, the approaches that they're they're doing are really interesting. And I guess I'm curious, you know, how their adoption will go in the coming years. I mean, Micronode and Quarkus, uh, the adoption has to be higher if com company notices how much money they can yep. save, you know. I mean, this is just yep. about business. And I would say um, what's really changed in the, in the recent five years is that uh, now everything is about costs. If you're in the Indeed. cloud... The major driver are costs, and yep. uh, and uh, you know it already. I mean, there are maybe twenty, thirty services on AWS where you can run Java. You know, mm -hmm. from um, AppRunner, LightSail, EC2, Fargate, uh, then the ECS, and e everywhere. Yep. Even um, you know, uh, <laughs> Code Build, you can run batch processing. Yep. So this is really everywhere. And the only differences are the costs, you know. Yes. If EC2 runs entire time, so and you can you know fully utilize it, this is cheaper. If you run it serverless entire time, it's going to be more expensive. So the main decision what you take are costs and you know the use profile, and therefore Micronaut and Quarkus have to be more successful. For except sure. you know the company has endless budget, and but this doesn't make sense in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. It definitely seems like, you know, Spring, which is the big player in the game, is catching up in some regards to some of the novelties of Micronaut and Quarkus. I know they had the Spring Data project for a little while, and now they have, 
in uh, Spring Boot 3 and Spring 6 sort of first-class support for GraalVM. So I'm just sort of curious how that'll play out in the coming years. Maybe. So, But the interesting part is what we are saying here about Spring Boot, Micronaut, and Quarkus is only interesting for AWS Lambdas, which are exposed via HTTP yep. API Gateway. It means, you know, yes. someone calls us from outside and Micronode and Corcus, what are doing Corcus? I use my MicroProfile JAX RS and uh, mm -hmm. Spring Boot used, uses different APIs. But the yeah, idea is that the cloud event gets, you know, extracted and parsed. So the HTTP API, HTTP API gateway event gets parsed by Corcus, is what I know. And then the API is called without reflection. Micronode does the same. Yep. And even with JAX RS, exactly the same API to to Quarkus, and this is uh, very efficiently. So today, actually, I implemented a Lambda, which is asynchronous. This is just uh, invoked mm -hmm. by an event without HTTP, yeah. and I didn't mm -hmm. even use Quarkus. So in this Lambda, I have to store something to S3, so I just have yeah. a Pojo with S3 API without any additional framework. So I don't care about Spring Boot, I don't care about Quarkus, about nothing. I just you know, yeah. have a Pojo. So um, I would say the frameworks in the cloud could become less important for mm -hmm. for for true event driven lambdas, and uh, yeah. the only importance is for the HTTP API lambdas. And even in these cases, it's not like we're building you know huge lo logic, so we can use some dependency injection. But I mean, it's a different story, right? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So why you are using Spring Boot and Micronode at the same time? Yeah, I think uh, I'm not entirely sure why that was the case. I think that was decided upon in uh, before I got there. Okay. Uh, the company or the engineering team itself is split up into pods, essentially, so smaller teams inside of it. And so the pods are essentially in charge of uh, some of the decisions about, you know, what technologies and frameworks and so on and so forth to use. Uh, but yeah, uh, Spring and Micronaut have been the two two contenders in terms of application frameworks. Yeah, but it's really strange that um, you're using both at the same time, right? So th this is what uh, what interesting, and uh, usually. Yeah, yeah, we've used. I feel like ma the majority of uh, usage is Spring Boot with some Micronaut sprinkled. Mm -hmm. in. What's also interesting is um, Helidon framework. Because uh, uh, it is also Oracle and, and Micronaut is also from Oracle and there is some cross pollination. Yep. So the Helidon also picks you know some data from some some data some features from from Micronaut. Yes. And Helidon they have already NEMA, you know the um, yes. the Loom. What you mentioned also Chicago Java is a group. This is less interesting yep. for Lambda and more interesting you know for Fargate maybe if you have more power in the uh, runs entire time because what it yep. will mean is. You will be able to start, you know, lots of threads, millions of threads on a stock yep. microprofile JAXRS application. Also, very interesting news, you know, very fresh ideas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It does seem like a lot of the application frameworks are looking at this closely. I know, I believe Micronaut has said they are as well as Spring. So it's it's exciting times for sure. Yeah, and Micronaut and Spring, they are using, uh, they, are, they are working with um, Oracle engineers, you know, to do that because, you know, mm -hmm. to, same company, so what yeah. are um, what are the you know features of Java you're most excited about? You know, Java seventeen, nineteen, twenty one, and beyond. So what are you are really looking forward to? Yeah, so I think right now the ones that uh, I use at least in personal projects that I really like are text blocks and mm -hmm. records. Uh, in terms, what was the of, second one? Text uh, blocks I got. What was the next one? Uh, records. Records. Sorry. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, those are really great. I think, you know, text blocks are nice if you're uh, writing multi-line strings. Uh, you know, in some cases, if I was, uh, like, maybe doing a JDBC query or something to do some tests, it's really nice to be able to write that in a multi-line string. Yes. And mm-hmm. records are great for many use cases. Uh, you know, it sort of eliminates the need for Lombok, which I know some people like. Uh, I prefer not to use it. And so records make that really nice if you want to have, like, immutable data classes, per se. Also um, my opinion. But, yeah, yeah there are, are mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Uh, it does seem kind of... Uh, so the issue I have is that some people seem to be stuck on Java 11, which don't introduce uh, any of those features yet. Uh, and so I know AWS, for instance, I think for Lambda, they don't have first-class support for JDK 17, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and so that has limited some from using those features. What we are using, um, you can use the Java 17 layer in Lambda, mm-hmm. and you get Java 17 support. It it works really well. And in one yeah. part of time, Java 17 is going to be released, and then you can you know remove the Lambda layer, uh, sorry, the Java 17 yes. layer, and then just use Nose. Yeah, yeah, I've meant to look into that. I haven't at this point, uh, but I know that's been in, uh, a sort of complaint about some that, you know, they haven't released first-class support yet. And it's interesting given that the next LTS release, JDK 21, is right around the corner. Yeah, I think they they would like to do a little bit more than just, you know, upgrading the, yeah. the, the Java version. So they, they're waiting for the opportunity, you know, or they have the opportunity right now to, you know, move the entire platform. This takes a little bit longer, yeah. I think. And yeah, and going back to the Java language features, uh, on the horizon, I'm really excited about the pattern matching capabilities that they're adding. Mm -hmm. I know they started with uh, pattern matching for instance of, which is really nice, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm really excited to see the sort of deconstruction patterns that you'll be able to write. Uh, That's going to be really cool. And then, you know, the big project that I think we're all waiting for some first deliverables for is Project Valhalla. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, what we have right now is the pattern matching for instance of, and yep. uh, this is already useful if you are building uh, simple visitors, maybe visitor patterns. So what mm-hmm. you can do is, um, let's say you have a method with the object, which, and then you can say if object instance of car, right? Then yeah. uh, car, and then say you can say instance of car, and then immediately C car yep. C, and and the C becomes a variable which is available in the block. So you can save yes. one line of code, which is already nice, and the destructuring. I think they 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 they, they call it different. So the, the term destructuring comes from JavaScript, and yeah. I think they call it deconstruction, right? They, they, deconstructors. Deconstructs. Yeah. Deconstructors. Okay. What's in JavaScript is already in JavaScript. It's really cool how how it looks yep. in JavaScript. But my problem with JavaScript in Java is, in Java I use var everywhere. Yes. And in uh-huh. JavaScript, I removed all my, I replaced all my vars with let, right? Yeah. Let, yeah. let, yes. yes, let. I always confuse. Let or, I, I like to use const as yeah, well. Yeah, const, of course. You, you use const, you know, wherever possible. And yep. then it, if it breaks, then, you know, fall back to let. But you would say yep. something like const curly brackets and say uh, name. And if in the JSON or in JavaScript object, there is um, there's like a hash map, right? If there is a key mm-hmm. n- name, it will pick the value and assign it to the variable name. So you save a lot yeah. of code. And yep. what they can do similarly with uh, records, because they are immutable, so the idea is going to be the same with records. So on the left yeah. side, you have a record, 
if it and you can deconstruct you no know, parts of the records and assign it to variables, which yes. is going to be huge. Because yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, because w- what you can do then, right? You can read, you know, you can deserialize data from a table into records, and then you can destructure or deconstruct the, the record into you know a subset and just use it yep. without any get a set as nothing, right? And um, yeah. This is going to be huge, but it is not available now, right? So this is, but uh, yeah. Yeah, they have had, uh, I think, a couple of rounds of preview for doing pattern matching in Switch. And mm-hmm. so you could essentially have case labels that use the patterns like you, do, you can do it in instance of. Uh, and I think they're also in the next release going to be previewing uh, record deconstructors mm-hmm. in instance of, which will be mm-hmm. really interesting. And then I think, you know, over time, I think it's meant to be more broader in that if you want to use deconstructor, you could use it uh, sort of as a statement, as if you were declaring a variable, but you're deconstructing instead. And I know eventually they'll allow you to write your own deconstructors for your own classes that aren't necessarily records. So it's a really, really rich feature, and I'm really excited to see you know what comes out at the very end. Yeah, uh, it is going to be big. I would say the... the um... yeah. How the deconstruction? I think it is going to be bigger than. It's the same category. I would almost say like Java streams, right? So I would say yeah, it is as going to be awesome. This is this. I would say the next big step also, um, after Java eight, right? Because Java eleven, some kind of interesting. Java eight was huge. Java eleven, yes, nice, but it's not like as huge as Java eight. This is also why. Lots of projects just yeah. never moved uh, away from Java 8. So there's, there's, there's no reason yeah. to go to Java 11. For me, it's lots of reasons, but, you know, VAR is yeah. gra- great and HTTP client are great. Java 17 yes. records, text blocks, also my opinion. And uh, we have uh, now the pattern metric for instance of, which I use. Yeah, um, and switch, yeah. Oh, switch, switch expression. expression. Also <laughs> switch expression. I love, I love using those, yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, to the listeners, how they look like, switch expression means that the switch returns something um and which usually returns right but what we did back then is we had a switch with return statements so and and now you can say var let's say car equals switch and in the switch uh, you can you you have a, a nice uh, syntax where you know every label is called in the case right every every yeah. label returns yeah. something with one liner and um yep. yeah and if you use um um, it has to be complete, so the compiler checks and you know whether all the all the uh, cases are covered. Um, otherwise, you get uh, either you know suggestion from your IDE, means this is not covered, which happens with this to the code, or um, you get compiler error. Which IDE are you yeah. using? I'm curious. I use IntelliJ. Okay, this is what I suspected. I thought maybe you? Visual Studio Code because I'm using Visual Studio Code for two years right now, and I'm really happy. So I'm actually mm-hmm. impressed. How how well it works? Yeah, I I keep meaning to check it out, and I'll probably have to use it for a longer period of time. I have used it in uh, spurts before, uh, and also IntelliJ or JetBrains rather. They are introducing a fleet IDE, yes. which looks a lot like Visual Studio Code, which is interesting. This is I'm curious what happens with it because um, indeed I, I don't know that this is a good idea to replicate what Visual Studio Code does because Visual Studio Code yes. is huge, and I think you know IntelliJ looked nice. As it looked, and uh, and Visual yes. Studio Code is different, so comp- you know to make it look like Visual Studio Code and do it with Kotlin, I, I 
I, I don't know what this and I I, I, I yeah. had I chat with lots of intelligent developers and there's no one so far was really excited about fleet so I'm yeah and they also changed the UI of IntelliJ which mm -hmm. I found interesting I sort of like the redesign but you know it seems like some don't like it some do like it uh, but the redesign of IntelliJ itself does look a bit more like VS Code. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they do have this sort of separate fleet editor that I think is trying to be mm -hmm. more like VS Code. There's one killer feature of Visual Studio Code, which is less important to you, I think. But um, what uh, what I do with Visual Studio Code is I have an alias. It is very easy to open a folder in a project and it opens immediately. Mm -hmm. I can work, you know, and it can open multiple Visual Studio Codes per folder. folder. And yeah. this is a little bit more friction with uh, IntelliJ. So um, in IntelliJ, mm -hmm. I think it's more interesting if you if you spend more time in a project, in a single project, if you have to switch, yeah. you know, too often between projects and uh, between even microservices, whatever, then I would say Visual Studio Code is a little bit less friction, at least, you know, my observation. That makes sense. What about uh, Loom? Excited or not so excited? Very excited. I think, you know, it's an interesting project and I'm interested to see how these frameworks adopt it. Like we talked about NEMA. That's really interesting and I definitely need to play around with it. Uh, but it definitely seems like we're still in the first innings of Loom. I know we had the preview in 19 uh, and they're doing another preview in 20. And then there's also with it, I still need to read the JEP, but I know that uh, Ron Pressler has talked about structured concurrency, mm -hmm. which sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. So a lot of exciting stuff. You know why I'm excited about uh, Loom? Uh, no more reactive. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, in all projects, uh, I get you know, the first question, what's about reactive programming or whatever? I'm saying, hey, yep. come on, uh, for our project, we really don't need it. And now I have even you know, one argument more. I can say, okay, with, you know, I know Loom is coming, and if Loom comes, we will have to probably throw away our reactive, you know, circus and uh, just just use Loom. Yeah. So I would say reactive programming is great for reactive use cases, but if yeah. just you know, as general purpose programming, I call HTTP API, and 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 really wait for the response. For me, it is just pointless, you know, to use reactive API for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really interesting, and you know, that sort of discussion. It will be interesting to see how that plays out. I remember, so I went to a conference in uh, Chicago called jconf.dev, and I was able to see Venkat Subramaniam, and I did ask him about this, and I think the quote he said is that Loom will scale your servers, whereas Reactive will scale your ser uh, your services. So it seems like, you know, I don't think Reactive will go away totally, but I think Loom will, you know, be able to cover many of the use cases that we see day to day. Yeah. Uh, Loom uh, uh, reactive will not go away. For instance, a very simple. You, I'm surprised that you uh, are you not using Kafka streaming or Kinesis something like this. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Because um, Kafka, what it means is Kafka looks like um, a Java stream, which is yep. alive, right? So if you have a collection like an array, so you can iterate over it, then it's over, right? But in yep. Kafka. You have you have a um, topic, and it it you, you get you know live events, and then on the Java side you have a data structure. So if event appears, you get called back. So it's like you know yes. instead of pull, it's push. And for this yeah. use cases, reactive is great, because you know the data structure is reactive. So this makes sense yes. if you're implementing web sockets or something with streams, Kafka, Kinesis. This this can make sense. And yep. uh, but this is a natural no, or or if you're building UIs, 
and and you move your mouse, then events are happening, yes. and you can react yep. to these events. So this is this is a perfect case for reactive programming. But in my boring enterprise project, this is not very <laughs> very common, right? So we we are calling something yeah. and waiting for the response. If I call the database. Uh, you know, yeah. you have a couple of uh, concurrent threads. There is pointless, you know, to use reactive programming for it. Yeah, it's it's exciting, and the loom stuff is exciting, and sort of a return to imperative. Programming. Perfect. Anything else you would like to mention or ask or discuss? No, I mean, I think you know, thanks for inviting me on. It's you know, being a Java developer nowadays is incredibly exciting. I think there's a lot of stuff in the language and you know frameworks that are very exciting. Uh, you know, definitely looking forward to listening to more episodes of your podcast. But yeah, thanks for inviting me on. What I can tell you is, I started with Java JDK 1.0, and my uh, entire yeah. idea, my my idea idea was, you know, to learn uh, various programming languages. But the problem is, the Java is so big and so interesting; it's really hard to keep up. So I'm really happy, you know, with Java. Yeah. And if you learn new stuff, I can learn incrementally, but still, is yeah. uh, is it never gets boring. And what's interesting, also for my clients, I have a project which are 15 years old, and my clients still like it because it was backward compatible. And this mm-hmm. is why, you know, the brand Gertz and uh, and the others they are just geniuses that because they have yes. to you know to add new features without breaking stuff. And this is a huge yep. huge selling point. And this is actually the interesting balance, you know, between being modern but still interest, interesting for, you know, larger enterprises and even startups. So a startup is yeah. using Java and it still works, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they go through great pains to make sure that, you know, they don't break backwards compatibility. And, you know, default methods are a great example of that. And yeah, I just, you know, I thank them for the work they do every day. And I try to keep up with, you know, what they're doing by reading the mailing list and listening to their talks and so on and so forth. You have to be careful, otherwise you get hired by Oracle and you have to work with them then, you know. <laughs> uh, time, will, time will tell, I guess. Perfect. Where people can find you, you know? Do you have a Twitter or... Uh... Yeah, yeah. So my Twitter is at LB Kalinsky, LB mm-hmm. in my last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, am on, I am on Twitter. Twitter is kind of interesting now with, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on. I'm also on Mastodon. I guess I could also share my sure. my uh, username and instance there. It'd probably be easier to include that in the mm-hmm. show notes. But yeah, Twitter and Mastodon are where I usually am. I also am on Reddit, and so I, I like to post and comment in the Java subreddit, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, those are the three main three okay. main places. And you and the Chicago Java user group server, right? As well, very active. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I am a member of the CJUG. Uh, we do have our Discord server, mm-hmm. which we post about events and have other discussions. So you can find me there as well, and also in the AirHacks Discord. Perfect. Well, we post uh, your job, you know, inquiry. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you a lot. Yeah, thank you.